Hey, this is Nick Kicks of Shock Paris, and you're listening to Focus on No. Crank it up! Hey, Metalheads, back once again, and believe it or not, back once again, my buddy Jay, and uh, he was so hot on the topic of the difference in music consumption and and all that good stuff that we decided that the next thing we were going to talk about was that. So good to have you back, man. Good to be back, and here we go. Yeah, so... Back on the, the uh, for those of you that may have not heard it, or if you have and you don't remember, is, you know, back when we, were, we did the episode on uh, metal Christmas songs and all that good stuff, we got into the whole idea of, how, you know, how we consume music, how Jay and I kind of show our age by the preferences of how we like to consume music versus how people, other people want to consume music. And uh, it's just something that always, you know, boggles my mind. And, and obviously, it, it's something based upon what everything Jay was talking about in that episode. It's also something he thinks a lot about as well. So seemed like a, a good topic to dive into and just kind of, you know, talk about this and, and get down to kind of what the hell goes on. But, you know, f- I think for you and I, you know, we like that whole consume an album listen to an album i know for me for you know i started off with vinyl and i know i think if i remember correctly you started off with a lot of tapes yep i started with tapes but you know you actually you have to recognize the types of music listeners there are there's people like you and i that first of all we played music also mm-hmm. and then we're really into listening to music as well so people you know they're just uh, Passive listeners, something's on, they hear it. For example, my father, you know, he, he couldn't tell you, you put a million dollars down and let, let him hear 20 songs in a row, he couldn't tell you one artist from the other. Mm. You know, I mean, they could be popular songs from his era and he still wouldn't know. So the different artists. So that being said, the way I like to listen to music and, and, and have it is how I categorize it. I like being completist for, you know, you listen to a band, you get all the albums or a good chunk of them anyway, and... But yes, to answer your question, I started with cassettes. My very first cassette ever was um, Scorpion's Blackout. Mm. Yep, 1983, I got it, year after it came out. So I started really listening to music around 83. Yeah, and I always remember that you were in the tapes because you always had the story about the Slayer <laughs> Rain and Blood album. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the, that story, <laughs> yeah, with Do them All and hiding it from my mom and... Uh, I was only 16 when it came out, so I was 86, and I was 16. I went clothes shopping at the mall, and uh, I had to hide it from my mom, so I went to uh, Tower Records or Record Record Town in the mall. Yeah, Record Town. Picked it up, hid it between some clothes that I bought from, I don't know, Chess King probably, you know, and uh, got home, and I laid in the bed, and I put the cassette on. And I never laughed so hard in my life. It was the heaviest, hardest, fastest music at that time. I mean, 1986 was nothing like that album, absolutely nothing. And I was laughing for the whole 30-something minutes. And then I was like, oh, i got to flip it. And then the second side of the cassette was the exact same as the first because the album was so short, like 33 minutes. And I laughed even more. And to be honest, that is still one of my 
favorite thrash metal albums to this day. So it's a fantastic album. But that see, but that and that also kind of brings the the thing that you know you still consume things that same way where you're paying attention. You know, it may, it may be that you're just listening or you're listening, but you're also and that's you're reading liner notes, which is part of why I've also drifted back to vinyl. But there's a certain element of like paying attention. And mm-hmm. I can see a lot now, you know, they, they talk about, you know, the music industry and how it's doing poorly and all that. But I think that for metal fans, for one, it's already been shown that we tend to buy a lot more physical media than other music genre listeners do. And I think part of that is, one, you touched on it. A lot of us are completists for stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also that we we want the liner notes, we want the physical product, and we want to actually consume it and get to know it, as opposed to somebody who might be, you know, buying, a, you know, a, like streaming hip-hop or something. And they're just, it's background noise. And, you know, my, my girlfriend even said it this weekend, which she's like, you know, it's a shame. She's like, everything that, that my daughter is listening to, in two years, n- none of that stuff will even exist anymore. There's, it, and, and yet we're still playing stuff from, you know, back in, in the 70s and stuff. And it's still, it's still viable and it's still getting played every day and people know what it is. And it's like, well, yeah, and it's because everybody consumed that stuff. They, they, it, it's part of... You know, it it ties to memories and all kinds of shit, as opposed to this. Like, if you if you're in an elevator and there's music playing, unless it's a really poor version of something you already know, you're gonna get out. You have no recollection of what the hell was going on in that elevator. Right, at all. right, right. You know, and I, I think that that's what happens nowadays. Or it's actually funny. A lot of the music we listen to, you might hear Silent Lucidity, for example, in an elevator, like, oh my God, I can't believe this is in an elevator, (laughs) you know? But uh, no, you actually hit a whole, I mean, you you hit topics that were unbelievable there. Um, You know, one of the ways we consume, but you got to also remember that back in, you know, it's age group, right? So, you know, 50s, I'm in my 50s now, you know, and the way music was consumed in the 70s and 80s was through radio, through the proper channels, the quote-unquote proper channels being the record label decided what they were going to put out. They mm-hmm. picked the single off the album, it went out to the radios, and you heard it and you bought it. You know, you went to the record store, you bought it. Yeah. And then MTV comes out and it changes a little bit. It changes, oh, now you have a video to go with this. And now you get to see things, but the same concept was still there. Yeah. You know, the, the record company on, on the ability to to pay the art, get the artists, you know, to do what they needed to do and get the music out there to distribute. Yeah. And fast forward to now, and, you know, I mean, I can make an album, you know, and it can sound like pure shit. It could be the best thing ever, and I can put it out there. I can make a website, put it out there, put it on Bandcamp, or pick one of the 17 million places you can put it, and that brings up another point. There's no central point of entry or delivery in this case. It's a million points of delivery, YouTube even being one of them. Yeah, probably YouTube is probably right. one of the biggest ones of them. But the other important thing about it, when you so when you talk radio... Yeah. That's an important part because radio Huge part. for us was a big cog for discovery for a couple of reasons. So one, you know, I remember when I was on the radio that I could go to and pull out any vinyl and basically play anything I wanted to play off of it. Now, granted, there were things the program director would lose their fucking mind if I played like Metallica or whatever. So I did. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you would always want to play if you were doing mainstream, you know, 
radio, you, you would be playing some of the stuff that was popular that people wanted to hear, but then you would also play some deeper tracks and you were also knowledgeable about the bands and what you were playing. And a lot of times you were bringing your own vinyl in as well. And that, that changed a lot when MTV came in because now you suddenly had to align the radio with MTV. So the MTV suddenly became very powerful. And part of what MTV did was they said, okay, well, we have a band Okay, this band Poison is really popular. Now, every other label had to get themselves a Poison or two or three yeah, Poisons. No and so all of a sudden you're saturated with this one style. And then Nirvana comes out. And then every, every label has to get themselves two or three versions of Nirvana. And the radio followed suit with that. And then, the, you know, you, you have the MTV control. And then that switched over to clear channel control. So you used to have all the independent stations the bandwidth regulations changed so you didn't have the same oversight so that um, you could have like different stations by the same owner within the same markets, which really weren't allowed before. And so now you have clear channel that buys up all the goddamn radio stations. And now they go, okay, this one's an AOR station. And they say, and, and I've literally seen the CDs they used to send out, you know, here is your CD of songs you are playing. And they would, you know, same thing, the country stations, they would get, here's your CD of country stuff. And part of it was, okay, we don't want to have to pay their performance rights stuff so everything. So we're going to minimize the number of songs we're going to do licensing on. We're going to trim down that. And every station that's, you know, a country station for us, they're all going to have the same playlist. And if you listen, you know, more than four hours, you get to hear the same thing all over again. And you, And then you have DJs that... They don't even know or even care what they're playing anymore. They're just punching in a CD and just letting it. It could just be automatic if you wanted to. And so they wonder why you don't see, you know, you don't hear a lot of new stuff, even though you got bands that are putting out new stuff. And it's because, well, if Clear Channel doesn't put it on their list of stuff their stations are going to play, you're just never going to hear it at all. It's just, it's as simple as that. And you don't have stations like you used to have. I remember... Like, uh, you know, BCN on Sundays, there were always the specialty shows. And so you had, I can't even think, I was think it was Cotter Allen that did the one that he was just playing like metal stuff, new wave of British heavy metal, whatever the hell he wanted to play for the entire like four hours. And I know Oedipus used to play some really bizarre shit. And you just don't have that anymore unless it is a uh, like a, a nationally syndicated thing like Nights with Alice Cooper or something like that. The um, the BCN one, if you what uh, what time that was on? I think it was like ten o'clock at night. And I remember very distinctly hearing uh, um, Orgasm and Flotsam and Jetsam on there, probably around eighty six, eighty seven, which mm-hmm. made me go buy those two albums at the time. Right. But so all right, so you you touched on the whole radio thing, but you you actually kind of touched on it from the actual being in the radio station and presenting it. Now, be a consumer of the radio. So here we are. We don't know any, We don't know that information you just gave. I'm just a person getting in my car in 1980, whatever, and getting in. So unless I had a gazillion cassettes with me at the time, you know, that was, that was the only way you can transport music. So you always had the radio station on, and it was on everywhere you went. Like, I'd go to work, and people had the radio station on. You know, so you heard BCN. You heard all the songs coming out. You heard the popular music, and it got beaten into your head. Year in, year a year out, time after time. Now, I mean, God, I, I never see. 
I go anyway. No one has a radio station on anymore. No such thing. You know. So yeah, I mean, I I end up listening to Sirius now. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so the, many the thing was is that I mean, when I had my charger, it had a CD player in it, so my car was full of CDs all the time. But my truck didn't come with a CD player. It was basically, it was made to do like Sirius. So you put a USB stick in. And granted, I've got USB sticks that have like the entire Van Halen catalog, the entire Priest catalog, the entire Saxon catalog. Yep. Um, but I had to go and actually add a CD player into my truck to be able to do CDs. But And you see that most cars these days, they don't come with removable media players at all. They expect you at to all. stream your phone. Um, right. you know, stream Spotify, anything like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm jealous of my girlfriend's Jeep. It actually has a hard drive in it. So she puts a CD in and nice. she goes, yep, copy that over. And it, and it does all the tags and everything. And so she's able mm-hmm. to, to just kind of pilfer through my CDs and, and go, Oh yeah, great. I'm, I'm loading this one in. I'm loading this one in. And so she's got like shitloads of music in there, which is great. And she can still do CDs if she wants. So what I do, because um, I'm a little old school still, my, I have a forerunner, you know, and now uh, it's 2008. And uh, before before you had all the Bluetooth stuff, at least I didn't have it there. So I do have a CD player in there, no cassette player. Mm. And, you know, I have a six changer in there. And I have cassette, I have CDs that have been in there literally at this point 10 years because everything I do is still on iPod. I have a hard, a hard line in on the, aux, the auxiliary channel. I have an auxiliary all the time. And I have a you know, gazillion gig uh, iPod. Literally, I have probably, I don't know, 6,000 albums on there. So <laughs> I have pretty much everything I need at my fingertips as long as I have my iPod with me. Yeah. Now, that's still old school. I mean, like you just said, that's even that's even considered old school because people are using their phones and they Spotify things and, you know, whatever they have these days is so much easier. So the whole point is no one's listening to the radio anymore. So putting an album out every year and having a band, you know, Fred Smith and the Firecrackers every year put an album out and having it be a top 40 hit. We don't hear that anymore. You know, we, we don't get to experience that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, even with, I'll call it a minor band, but like Last in Line, which is, you know, everybody that was in Dio's band, except for Ronnie. And then of course, and then after a while, of course, Jimmy Bain passed away on the on the cruise as well. So they've got Phil Sasan. But, we, you know, we go out to see them. We went out and saw Last in Line a few months ago out in Worcester, small club, freaking great show. But there was, usually we go to shows and it's like a running joke that my girlfriend attracts the weirdos who want to have conversation. That show, for whatever reason, and she gave me shitty, it's your night to attract the weirdos. And one guy that came up to me, he was bitching about, what is all this shit they're playing? How come they're not? And he's naming Dio song after Dio song after Dio song. And I'm like, dude, these guys have put out albums of original music. And his like eyes were like, huh? I'm like, you think they're going to just put out albums and not play them live? Like, give them a break. Like, this is like, enjoy the new stuff. You're getting the Dio stuff that you wanted as well. But you have to, you know, cut them, cut them some slack. They're recording brand new music and it's good. And so appreciate it. Like they keep putting out new stuff. And he had no idea that this band that he was like, thought he was like the biggest fan in the world of 
had albums of new music. Well, that's uh, that's the world we live in these days. Also, you know, you and I, you especially, think even more than me. I mean, definitely more than me. You dig deep. You you, know, you read all the liner notes. You know all the connections and bands and people. And I've kind of stopped doing that you know, a while back. But so you, you're deeper into it. You know a lot more than the average person is. You know, I think a person that has three albums from a band thinks they know the band. You know, these days. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. not the way you think and it's not the way i think either but you know a lot of the casual passive listeners that's that's how they feel about that stuff i believe so you ran into one of those yeah i mean it's definitely there's like a lot of that stuff even for like our age group it's funny that like if you go to uh i can remember going to a foreigner show at the casino a few years back and um jeff pilson gave us tickets so we were up and we're looking around and it was like, you know what? I don't think most of the people here realize that there's basically no original foreigner members on stage. And, and so, I don't think anyone why, did. That's it was, why I didn't go, by the way. <laughs> it was bizarre. I wanted to get tickets. I'm like, why? It's, not even, it's a tribute act to themselves. It's not even a real band, you know? So yeah, I don't I mean, mean that in a bad way. I mean, it's just... If you're going to pay the money, I want to see the original people, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all, because I know these artists are still trying to survive and do their thing, and they still play great music, but I do, for the money things cost these days, there is a certain expectation for me, personally, you know, so. Yeah, it, it was funny. I mean, I still, I mean, I went to the last Foreigner one. They put on a great show. Kelly can sing the hell out of stuff. Jeff's done a great job with doing a lot of the musical direction. But even like that Hampton Beach one, at that point, it was still at the, at the point of Mick may or may not show up for a show. You just never know. Um, and that was a, a, a no Mick show. But uh, it was just, again, people that, you know, have no idea exactly what they're watching. So I think those are those are the radio listeners, right? The people that listen to all those foreigner songs mm-hmm. on the radio all the time. They know all the hits, but they know it not from any of the albums or anything. They've they've done that soul radio consumption, which I never really thought about till you kind of brought it up. But I think that's that population of people. Yeah, you know, so I, I mean, I think about this a lot because my son and I have in-depth conversation. I mean, we have like hours of conversation about this topic. Mm. Yeah, he's into the hip-hop stuff now and the trap, and he's trying to make his own beats and all that kind of stuff, you know. But he, again, he, remember, he appreciates all music, heavy metal, hard rock, you know, right down the line, you know. So from the early early eras of the 50s and 60s, right down to the even the he loves jazz. He loves the 30s and 40s jazz, you know. So it's not like he's narrow-minded. He's trying to just be modern in his time. And we get in discussions, I said, but there's nothing like a band, you know, three, four, five guys going together in a room and jamming their instruments, and that's how songs are made. Mm. You know, like, for example, uh, the song Hey Round, you know, uh, uh, three of us were downstairs jamming around, you're doing something with your daughter upstairs or something, you come downstairs and you whip out your notebook and you put lyrics to what we're jamming to. That's a band. Yeah. My son, he's you know, talking about Scott Travis and all these other acts that, you know, <laughs> there's one person that every now and then features another person. And you know, they sample each other, and he calls a sampling. And, you know, I'm gonna, I'll use the term because that's the term, but it's not. It's stealing. It's using someone else's music, converting it a little bit so that someone like me hears something that I'm, I know from the, you know, 70s or 80s and try to attach it to their music so I like their music. And that's not... To me, I don't like that. Yeah, it's funny. I had this discussion with my girlfriend this weekend because she was like, why is it 
that all the songs and like we're sitting at the pool over the summer and her daughter's playing this stuff and it's it's unlistenable you can almost predict okay four more words and they're gonna say bitch okay yeah now let's count four more they're gonna say ho and it was we were just going through this and it was like oh this is a fucking horrible but she's like like why and i and uh, my explanation right or wrong is because that is the most profit margin for record companies now is they they get a face that they can pay very little money to but they think they're making bank then they go and they steal a whole bunch of stuff and then they have a so-called producer that is making other beats so and he's the person who's actually making any of the bank on this but he's doing a billion projects so now they they basically are sitting there in front of a computer so you're not paying for a studio you dump all this stuff in this cost you essentially nothing to make mm-hmm. you haven't had to pay p- producers union fees and, and like nothing you just put all that in with the expectation is you're going to push that out people are going to remember it for eight seconds they'll buy some spotify streams whatever you make a little bit of revenue stream and even though you haven't sold shit, you've actually still made a profit on the thing you spent almost nothing to make. You let that person get flushed down the toilet. You get the next person, and you just keep grinding them through. And, you know, what I told her, too, I said, if you really think about it, it's with the exception of the fact that now you can do this on computers. It's not that much different than what occurred in the 50s when you talk about, like, bubblegum pop and stuff where you had these labels that would just find some, like, teen band that had something and they would put out one song, pay them almost nothing, think we might make the radio or not, and no development, no nothing. Okay, next one, next one, next one. So you have just hundreds of them. So it's no different than that model and that singles model from the 50s. It's just that now it's incredibly more profitable because you can do it all on your laptop. And that all being said also, you know, my son and I had a discussion, you know, when you and I were growing up, Bands put out an album every year. Yeah, in some cases, it was every six months. Think about like bands like Kiss, Kiss, every six months. Every six months. So, you know, the albums are 33, 36, 40 minutes long, one or two a year, and you get to, with your friends in high school, have three to four to five to six albums from the same band. Mm -hmm. My son went to high school. I forget what band it was. Got a, got a, uh, I think it was maybe, maybe even uh, junior high. He had something in junior high, and he was out of college before the band released another album. That's like nine years yeah. or eight and a half years. It was something ridiculous. Like, how do you even, how do you rally behind that? How do you talk about that with your friends? How do you, you can't. There's no way around it. You know, Megadeth has put an album out, or Metallica, or Slayer, or Anthrax, or Exodus, or any one of those bands in the '80s. It was every year, and mm-hmm. you can share with your friends, share the experience. Make a copy of it listen to it you go buy it yeah and, and you can see the development as well and and because yes. you could see the development and you could hear it and you either you liked it or you didn't like it but mm-hmm. all of that made you more involved with the band with the music and you were mm-hmm. and and the other part is because you were going out and, and like paying like you know <laughs> 12 bucks 17 bucks for an album i can't remember what i didn't buy too many cassettes but but you were literally invested in the music as well. So so you were like, I just spent, you know, my lawn mowing money to buy this damn thing. I'm going to listen to it. And so for a lot of us, and I know you're you're one of these people, for a lot of albums, you hear a song, and when that song ends, your brain already clicks into what the next song's supposed to be. Of course. And if it's off by even a little bit, um, you know, because they've either you know, um, 
remastered it and mm-hmm. cut off a second or two of the airtime, you, you, you know, you know, you're, even if there's a click in it, if you recorded it from an album and has those clicks and pops, you expect them to be there. You go buy the CD quality version of the same song, same album, and it's wrong in your head, right. you know, because you're used to hearing it a certain way. It's been programmed in your brain. Yeah. My, my worst one for that was that my first copy of uh, British Steel, which had a skip in uh, Living After Midnight. Oh, no. Yeah, but you can't, you can't unhear it. Every time you hear that I song, can't. You can't I, I know where it. it is, and I just, like, it's yeah. in my brain. So when I don't hear it, I'm like, huh? That's something wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I have those conversations with him. I've had him with them all the time for many years, you know. And he says, Dad, just give us a listen. You're being closed-minded. You're being narrow-minded. I said, dude, I own 15,000 albums. How's that narrow-minded? There's nothing narrow-minded about... I listen to anything from New Age to thrash metal to movie soundtracks to classical. I mean, how, how is that even remotely narrow-minded? I just don't like what you're listening to. I've tried it. I listen to it. They say, bitch, ho too much. It's just for no reason. Reason, yeah. at least have a reason to say it and I'm behind <laughs> you it's just stupid you know and by the way I have nothing against saying bitch ho in music and other things like that if it's placed in the right spot and for a good meaning you know it's fantastic but they just say it to make money and it's it's all gangster rap for no reason yeah. you know and and I just can't get behind it I know there's not all gangster rap out there but the other ones out there too it's just it's like hearing one long song for 65 minutes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I'll say, there, I mean, there are some bright spots. One that's, I, you know, I went and, and saw recently was, uh, was Wolfgang Van Halen. Definitely a bright spot. Now, granted, he does everything on the albums by himself, but he has an incredible live band. They've been together for a while. Um, some of the guys are in other bands as well. But, you know, sitting there watching them do sound check, you know, watching them banner back and forth and watching him like defer to other people in the band for like how, you know, because we were like calling out. He'd be like, well, what do you want us to play? And like somebody called out a Foo Fighters song and it was like, oh, shit, remember how to play that? And and asking the other guys, hey, and they just kind of watch him kind of banter back and forth and kind of figure it out and go ahead and do it and stuff. So, you know, it's definitely operating like a band. It, it's it's what I remember from being in bands and how you'd be like. But what was great is seeing all that, seeing them act as a band during soundcheck. But then live, it actually got to the point live where after one song, he, like Wolfgang had to stop. And he was like, holy shit. He's like, this is intense. You guys know all the goddamn words. And they were. Everybody was singing right along with it. So here's a group of people that are actual music consumers that are buying the the two mammoth albums and actually listening to them to the point that they knew the words, knew the songs they wanted to hear. And obviously this is stuff that, you know, they're not playing on the radio either, but to have that club and it was, it was packed. It was, you could not get any more people in there sold out and everybody like knew all the stuff. It was a great experience to have that as opposed to, a bunch of people that uh, kind of sort of are engaged or whatever, but to kind of be back to how it used to be that, you know, we'd go see like a band in a club or even in, you know, even at like a, the Civic Center or something like that. And everybody was like engaged and knew everything. It was it was a great experience. So I think there are some bright spots there. And, you know, he's a guy that two years in a row, he put out brand new albums. And they're not cookie cutter either. Um, I actually happen to like the first one a little bit better from song structure better solos on the second one, but he continues to offer like 
good music for the entire albums, which is great. So, you know, good, essentially new artist, bright spot there. You know, I, I know we're going to touch on this in probably another um, another episode, uh, you know, about, well, I'm going to call it Metallica, right? So mm-hmm. it's going to talk about the basis of Metallica and, and you know, the different uh, styles or whatever, too. But they put, you know, they put albums out so infrequently now, so many years apart. And yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I was saying something to Richie on uh, one of the episodes we just did, where it was interesting that in the same time frame, Metallica put out eleven albums, and Megadeth has put out sixteen. Oh, don't even don't even go. I mean, that's that's a whole different conversation altogether. But the point I was going to get at with, with this is, you know, after like eight years between albums, and the new one came out. And my very first impression, which, as a matter of fact, I think I was ch- uh, texting you the day I was listening to it. My first time listening to it was only uh, a month ago, by the way. You know, the first three songs all blended together. So right out of the box, there was nothing distinguishable out of the first three songs. And granted, since then, I've distinguished them a bit. I've, you know, I've heard it, the album five or six times now, maybe more. And it's okay. But the whole point I was going to make was it's a very long album, too long, 75-plus minutes, whatever. You know, it takes so many years in between, if they just did one album every year, at least every other year, 40 minutes at the most, and they're missing riffs. They're just missing riffing. Riffing is gone. Listen to the first two albums and listen now, and it's it's chords. It's, it's chord riffs, not not single note riffs like they used to do. You know? Yeah, that, that's so why different. I was like the first, and I can't remember the name of the single was, that uh, the first one they put out from uh, 72 Seasons. But that first one grabbed me because it was like, ooh, there's and and I didn't I didn't pick up the word then, but you're right. It's the riffing. I was talking about it as being it had that Nawabum feel that they used to like to have, you know, even before the first album. Um, but it really is like what you just said, which is the the riffing. And it was like, oh, great. And I was hoping the whole rest of the album was going to be like more of that. And then it was like yeah, the next one came on. And it's like, there. oh, shit. No, it's not. It was. The first three songs are about the same tempo, and to me, it was just one big jumbled mess. That's mm. the way to describe the first three songs, 18 minutes in, whatever, you know, my first impression. Since then, I've learned to distinguish the difference. It's not bad. It's, it's good overall. It's, you know, Metallica these days. But they, what they've lost is, with most bands in this from our era have lost, is they've lost that guitar riffing. Because I know another topic we're going to talk about is how sound has changed over time. But right now, you know, bass and bass drums are really just bass in general is, is in the songs more. It's, everything's full and filled. And, um, you know, this Metallica album, the last one, you know, didn't didn't really rock my world. Neither did the last Megadeth. But you mentioned Megadeth and Metallica and the frequency of albums. And I always, I every now and then ask, you know, friends, what's better? Who's like better, Megadeth or Metallica? And it's like clockwork. Anybody that's a musician <laughs> almost always picks Megadeth. Mm-hmm. And people that are just casual listeners clearly like Metallica. You know, I, I see the appeal. You know, if you're a musician, you understand the complexities more of what Megadeth does versus Metallica. You know, I think any metal band can make a Metallica-type album uh, in no time. I mean, it's just, there's nothing to it these days to put chords together and, and do what they do. You know, uh, I'm not picking on them in general. Actually, I just did. But bands like that in general these days, there's nothing special about it anymore. It's just putting out a 55-, 60-minute album of just double bass and, you know, power chords, minimal riffing. Focus! 
Yeah, I think I, mean, I, like. I think we talked about it years ago with uh, I think it was with Death Magnetic and the whole idea of just the fact that you know if you're a millionaire, it's hard for you to write an angry metal album unless you are just permanently angry like Dave Mustaine is. So you know Metallica, you know you're talking about millionaire you know, metal artists trying to make a, something that captured what they were doing when they were, when they were angry and dysfunctional and outcast and all that. And, you know, they're just, they're in a, a different social space. I, I, mean, I was glad that they tried to go back to some of those influences. And I, I mean, you know, even Lars today, you know, you, you, any interview with him, if you were to ask him about a new album band or whatever, he would still be, have that same passion for, for that type of stuff and deep purple. And, and he's never lost any of that. It just, it doesn't translate back to the music on the albums for the most part that you see. But then Mustaine, he's still just, you know, an angry fuck. And it still, it still bears out in a lot of what he does. Mustaine still has the two, the two guitars that interact with each other very, you know, very uniquely mm-hmm. uh, by metal. And there's a lot of riffing, single note, you know, riffing. And Metallica, it's just a jumbled mess. Everything is just... Uh, chords, you know, yeah. it's just, and to be honest, they have a fantastic basis that I really don't think, I don't think they've, they've showcased them enough on what he can do, you know, I mean, maybe I'm just missing it on the albums, uh, it's probably buried in there a bit more than my ears can hear, I don't know, but, you know, he's a, he's way better than what he's being allowed to do on the albums, Yeah, and for my opinion. You know, I'll, I'll go back to, to Wolfgang, even though, I mean, he's not metal, it's more like hard rock and stuff, but... You know, one of the things, just you listen to the album and you hear a lot, but then it was cool to actually be just right up there on the barrier and watching what he was doing and watching what the other two guitar players were doing and what the bassist was doing and then realizing how he got that sound and and the fact that that's what you have. You have, you know, one guitarist is doing kind of more simple chord figures, but you got somebody else that's doing a riff and then you got Wolfgang doing a riff and then they shift around in doing all that. But it's it never comes down to just simple chords at any time. There's always some kind of of riff basis or two different interweaving riffs going on in the music. But it was great to just kind of stand there and just examine what they all were doing and how it weaved together and how different that is for us. So many of the other bands I hear. And it's kind of like, that's probably one of the reasons I actually like this is that it's taken me until now to figure out exactly what the hell it was they're doing and how he's making that, that sound that he gets. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. No, I mean, I agree. And that's why a lot of the, you know, a lot of the new bands are, sorry, a lot of the old bands putting out new albums. It's, it's hard for me for many reasons. Like you said, they're not angry 20 year olds anymore, but also that being said, you know, for the, the last two metallic albums, definitely the last one, you know, you don't have to be angry, but you, your album doesn't need to be 75 minutes plus. Mm-hmm. You only need 12-minute songs that just sound like a jumbled mess. You know, you can at least have rock anthems and stay with the anthems that are... I mean, everybody knows, you know, the best songs on the radio is about two minutes, three and a half minutes. They're, they're short but sweet, in and out. Do the verse, couple, you know, do the verse, chorus, a couple of solos, in and out, you're done. And people will keep that in their head and those hooks. And you have an eight-minute song that just rambles on. It doesn't resonate the same way. I'm not saying they're bad because I like a lot of, you know, I still like a lot of the longer songs, but they've lost their focus on what they really need to do. Most bands have what they need to do to make a solid, memorable, that's the key right there, memorable album. Yeah. Memorable for yeah. good. Not, not St. Anger memorable. Memorable for <laughs> good, you know? Yeah, and I think, I mean, 
Yeah, and I guess you know going down a rabbit hole. So we'll just keep going. Yeah, we did. Um, yep. But but if you look at and at Metallica, right, and and you look at what they were doing between Killem and Ride and Masters, and they all check off everything you just talked about, two hundred percent. Then you get Justice, and Justice is a ramble. It's how many parts can you put in a song? It's almost like how unmemorable can we make these songs? And probably the most memorable song off that one is their first one that had a video on MTV. Cool. And I think that helped to get it in everybody's head. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, with part after part after part after part, I think a lot of people wouldn't have had that song resonate with them. Then you had kind of a reshape with the Black Album with as much as people that you know like the earlier ones don't like that, but it stripped it back down to shorter songs with some impact to them, memorable hooks, memorable riffs, structure again, all of that. And so you started to have that. And then, of course, load, reload. Primarily, most of that is leftovers. But You just heard my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, then you get into that, you know, the kind of the drift. Now you're you're back to this thing where I think it's almost like overthinking the songs and, and doing exactly that, making them too long, too many parts, too many things. And I've never been able to quite put like, an adjective to it, but there's, there's kind of like a boring, but there's a sameness to a lot of the, like the phrasing. It's like, wait a minute, this phrase sounds like that phrase sounds like that phrase. So the ones that are different do pop out, but you have more of kind of the sameness stuff than you do the things that pop out as opposed to if you look, listen to like any of the new stuff that except put out, with Mark on vocals, it's they're shorter songs. They're punchy. You'll probably never hear them on the radio, but you walk away and you've got that thing stuck in your head. The new primal fear. You walk away. You've got the stupid riff stuck in your head. You know, new than any of the new Testament. They do have some longer stuff, but a lot of it, again, you walk away and you've got riffs, you've got songs mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, three days later, you're like, God damn, I still got that stupid song in my head. So, and I can so say I didn't funny. have that with 72 seasons. Right, so this is funny. So I'm going to put a little pause right here and address the listeners right now. So listeners that are in their 50s, they know what we're talking about, and they're all shaking their heads yes. Listeners that are in their 40s, it might be, yeah, I guess I kind of get it. Listeners in their 30s may not agree with us at all because their first album from Metallica was probably the Black Album or Load or Reload. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they grew up on totally different band than we grew up with, being Metallica. Or, and also, all the thrash metal bands that were out at that time that had their roots in the 80s. You know, so this is an age group thing. You and I, we grew up with metal bands being guitar-driven and being riffers and being not recorded the best way possible for the most part. And the albums were year after year. Combat Records, you know, uh, they put out great metal bands one after the other. Metal Blade Records, same thing. Uh, You know, a whole bunch of labels that did that kind of thing. But the the key factor was was year after year, guitar-driven and riffs. That went away as time progressed. Right back to the listening experience, right? So I prefer to listen to things that are older because it's just more of what, I'm, what I grew up with, mm-hmm. you know? So things that are new that sound like they're older, um, I enjoy that a lot. The band called Reckless Love, they came out around 2009 or 10 or whatever. Tongue-in-cheek stuff. Uh, they're from Europe somewhere, and I thought they were great. They were a newer act, fantastic, but it was all 80s-sounding, tongue-in-cheek lyrics, and it was just it just hit me in stride 
for a newer band doing the shorter songs that were funny, that were good. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, and uh, I just, I think the old, the old being traditional metal bands from the 80s that are still pumping out albums, they got to keep that in mind, the, the length of the song, the length of album, and of course, what made them good in the first place, <laughs> you know, the, the riffing. Yeah, and I think part of that, I mean, you talked about it before, too, was recording methods, right, and recording methods of change, and, you know, even, I remember you would get frustrated with us recording you know, we'd be down, we'd jam, we'd be together, we'd be playing off each other. Then we'd get in the studio and I would be like, okay, so we're all going to do separate tracks and, and all that. So I'd lay down that rhythm and then everyone would play against that. And I know you, that used to drive you crazy because you were used to that play against. But that's also how the best riffs got developed, too, is, you know, you you don't have, you know, these mega home studios. You're not cross-country from from everybody else in your band and you're mm-hmm. just sending, you know, an MP3 back and forth to each other, but you're in a room and you're kind of saying, oh, that's great. Oh, that sucks. Oh, what the hell is that? And then, and then working through it. I mean, you, you talked, uh, you know, like when we did Welcome, that was like, you know, this thing I came up with and you were like, oh, what the hell is that? Let's work on that. Um, where, where you don't have that when you're like, <laughs> too, you know, too close to the, too, you know, cross country type of thing. You just don't have that opportunity to kind of, look at each other in the face and, and jam it through and work it out and see what each other's doing and how you can make that better or not. So there is a lot of this kind of remote stuff that happens. And I think that that does kind of take the, you know, a lot of the edge off the music granted, you know, I, I do get the other part, which is that, you know, album sales in general are down record company mm-hmm. support is absolutely down. So do you have enough, money to actually get into a studio and do all of that these days probably not but i think there's ways around it it's just that i think that's part of what starts to neuter a lot of the stuff as well well you actually said you know about the coast to coast and we're actually doing it right now you know i'm on the phone with you instead of mm-hmm. being with you, you know, in the studio doing this so you know maybe maybe we rectify that in the future but you know i prefer the the looking person in the eyes you're talking and you, you start laughing you remember different things you know you you can see my reaction i see yours and that runs us down different different conversations you yeah. know but but yeah a band to me a band is a band when you're in the garage together or in a basement or in a rehearsal studio and you, you're just doing stuff you're just noodling and someone starts noodling something else and you put it all together and then it just that's how it forms you know it it doesn't fall with me sitting here at home playing a guitar track to a computer and then playing a bass track because of course my brain thinks in patterns the same way it always thinks so i'll do the bass similar to i do the, the guitar and there's no point in that when there's a bassist you know right next door that plays bass phenomenal way different than i could ever imagine so you know why wouldn't you want that with you to do it you know and to me having four three to five people in a band doing that together collectively that's the experience that's how songs are created not generated, created. Right. You know, right. very different. Yeah. And, and and the thing too, I mean, now that you, you know, when you talk about that, let's kind of go to the other end of it, which is so we talk about, you know, bands who might be coast to coast and they're contributing individual stems and those are getting mixed and mastered. But now we take it to the other part of it, which is kind of the shitty state of a lot of current music, where what you really have is one guy, or maybe it's a team of two guys who put together an entire track bed, all of that, then they bring in whoever the record company shoves down to them who go and and just kind of, you know, chant bitch and hoe over that track, and they go, good, done, next. So there's really, like, no collaboration at all. It's just kind of the 
the same after the same after the same. And of course, because people, they're not really spending a lot of money on this stuff and they're not even actually really listening to it. And if you actually, someone, if you ask them right after the words got said, hey, what did they just say? There's a good chance they couldn't even tell you because they really weren't listening. They're just, exactly. they're just, you know, what's something you brought up before too is all they're doing, they're hearing like a bass drum or, uh, you know, the kind of a sub note or this kind of a, you know, a, a thumping beat kind of thing. And the rest mm -hmm. of it, like you might as well be in a club. It's, it's just not, it's not conducive to, to, at least to me, uh, being an old fuck, how you actually listen and appreciate stuff. You know, I got to definitely put a shout out to, to two bands that I still really enjoy to this day. Uh, Armored Saint and Fate's Warning. Mm -hmm. You know, those two bands, to, I mean, I know they're more technical, you know, but that's actually why I like them also. They can still be technical uh, and still make good albums. I mean, our Armored Saint to this day, I don't think, from my perspective, has never made a bad album. You know, I mean, everything's really solid, and, and the guitars are, they intertwine perfectly, and the, the, everything's there. All the pieces I need for an album are there, yep. you know. Um, and same thing with uh, Fate's Warning. You know, granted, they're getting a little more um, elongated with songs and and doing a little more, you know, with their music as far as, um, I guess, uh, experimenting, I guess. But I've always enjoyed that about them. Um, I've always enjoyed technical aspect of that band, you know, and that's why I love those bands. Uh, I can see why it takes them longer to put albums out, you know? Yeah, but the, but the interesting thing is, because, and I, I think at one point when we started the show, like, Armored Saint was pretty much our token band of the show, and I think they would come up in almost every episode. What's cool about Armored Saint, though, is that there's a lot of technicality there, but it's not in your face, as opposed to Fate's Warning, which really does have that progressive side i mean it's great it's great for joey because he can kind of go he's on one end of it or the other end of it so i think he's very fulfilled with that but it's it's i think it's kind of it's a little bit different um where i think saint still has that more in your face they're they're a bit harder they tend to be more into the you know they get a little bit in the on the thrashier side of it as well um mm -hmm. so you don't really notice a lot of the technicality even though yeah it's always been there you know, I, I guess if you're a musician these days, you got to decide one of two things. Do you do it because you love it, or do you do it because you want the fame, the glory, and try to make the money? Because mm -hmm. those, are, those are two different avenues for recording and how you process the music. For example, if you and I got together to do this, I have a day job, you do too. I, re I come to realize I'm not going to make any money ever doing this. You know, right. I mean, if I did, great. But I would do it for the passion of just being with three or four or five other people and the experience of bouncing off each other ideas and watching each other uh, enjoy doing it, to creating and recording that way. And that would show in the music, by the way. You know, that would show in the, the recordings of, of the music versus I'm trying to make a million dollars. How do I put a few swear words and a few tongue-in-cheek things in here and, you know, some sex? it's always sexuality stuff, you know. I mean, the, the girls don't have the wet-ass pussy. I mean, that pushed the envelope as far as you can possibly push it, you know, to try to make money. And it's funny as hell, and I hope they make a gazillion dollars on it. It's a riot, you know. But that's what you got to do these days if you want to make the money and make the mark, the short little splash in the pond to make the money. Yeah. So you get to decide what you want to do, you know. And me personally, I just rather sit around and and hang with the guys and and just thrash some stuff out. Yeah, and that's like you know all the stuff that uh, that like Tracy G does. You know, he's just like okay, yep, he had his moment in the spotlight with Dio, and now he just you know he does his stuff with the Tracy G group, and it's really not to make a million dollars. He's got 
people that you know live around him, they come down to the studio and they jam out and he just absolutely enjoys just writing shit and just putting it out in little small batches and stuff. And, and yeah, he has no, you know, kind of illusions that he's going to make a billion dollars off of this or anything. He's just doing it because he just freaking loves to play. And, mm-hmm. and it's great. You know, uh, you mentioned seeing some of the artists around here. And, of course, all the bands that we grew up with loving, they're aging at this point. And when they do show up, you know, again, there's only so many original members mm-hmm. in the band, if any. And, you know, we have, at first I thought it was really cool. We had tribute acts, you know, coming around. And I got to be honest, I'm ridiculously sick of seeing them at this, seeing, hearing of them at this point, because they're, they're a dime a dozen. There's, there's, more, there's more of those acts than there are, um, you know, nightclub, just bands that play songs. You know, you have, and I understand why, because a, a band going into a nightclub around here is not going to make all but $500 for the five guys for the night. Mm-hmm. You become a tribute band, you're making $45, $50 a ticket. And I, I completely understand why they do it. And I've watched so many guys that were in local bands transition to these tribute bands, and now they're traveling, you know, uh, I won't say nationally, but they're definitely regionally anyway, a lot of them, some nationally, and a couple actually internationally, all on being a tribute act. Yeah. You know, so there's huge money in copying other people's music and pretending, and, and people, the consumers of it, go out and act like it's the best thing ever, which, by the way, they are fantastic. I've seen a few of these bands that are great. Yeah, there's a you few know, of them that are really, right. like the Four Horsemen have got a huge, huge freaking following. And they do a great job. And then there's some that are the kind of the mid-level that mm-hmm. still do pretty well, but, you know, they're not to that same level of like the four horsemen are. But and then, yeah, they, they bring in a big crowd and they, they do make some good cash. There's like two or three ACDC ones around here. There's a couple of like foreigner and or journey ones. Matter of fact, there's three foreigner type journey ones that I, I know of, and they're all the same name, Foreigner's Journey. Foreigner's Journey, yeah. <laughs> or the Foreigner's Journey or a Foreigner's Journey. I yeah. think they're all separated by the first word or lack of the first word. The descriptor yeah, that, uh, the name. Dirty Deeds ACDC one. They're actually really good. Um, and back in Black and there's one more, uh, ADHD or something. Yeah, but the, uh, the Dirty Deeds one, I saw them outdoor concert what maybe two years ago and they actually had a uh girl that came up and did bagpipes with them so they would they oh, did cool. like long way to the top with like just yeah. they just pulled her for that show and it was like oh this is freaking awesome so there's a few of them that kind of put a little bit of extra effort in there and uh that was like one that was like holy shit that's actually was really great to hear that stuff but yeah you're, you're right i mean that's that's kind of a, a big big part of it i think now and even when um when Bob Navandian put out the uh, band versus brand documentary, one of the things that was included in there was a guy that is in a foreigner tribute band that does, you know, international stuff. And, he, you know, he goes through the whole idea of how they, they play on the brand foreigner and how mm-hmm. he earns his livelihood because of that. Exactly. I mean, that's 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 a smart move if you're in a band these days. Uh, one of the guys I know is doing a local local um, local gigs all the time. He's in a band called The Bars. They've been around forever, and all of a sudden he jumps ship and, and goes and starts Panorama, a Cars tribute band. You know, and they're catching wind, they're picking up, and and they're making. Well, bottom line is making ten times the amount of money he was making. You know, playing as the bars. You know, so that that's just the way it goes. You know, I mean. People want to see a brand. They want to see that name. They want to. They want to go see those fifteen songs they know from a band. And that's actually something else too. Concerts used to be two and a half, three hours long. Now, Jesus Christ, ninety minutes and now done. It's like what the hell? I spent two hundred fifty dollars for ninety minutes. It's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. 
And th- and it's a big change too, because if you think about it, you, you remember that when we had that gig, we were opening for the Stompers. Yep. And and yep. so you know, if this was then, it would have been like no one would have given a shit about us, and everybody was mm-hmm. there for the known commodity, and yet. It, w- it was exactly the opposite, which is why we get fired from the gig, is that we did our stuff that was all 100% original, and then it was like, oh, now there's the old hat stompers, and it was like people just yeah. left. And so, yep. yeah, then they fired our ass. Um, but <laughs> yeah. it was like, and now it's totally the opposite. It's like if you're the known thing, then you've, you're kind of like you've kind of a shoe in for some cash. Yeah. The one thing I got to say about any young listeners, probably people in their mid twenties to probably mid thirties or so, if you even have any of those, you know, I, I feel, I'm sorry. I have to apologize to you guys in advance. I'm really sorry because you're never going to experience the next upcoming genre of music that takes over the radio, you know, explosively like, you know, seventies music, yeah, disco, um, even the, the new wave or the heavy metal when it first came out, there was, each one of those genres was an explosion and we get to, we, the older folks, get to experience the albums coming out, the radios playing stuff. And for you guys, it's just, you have everything at your fingertips instantaneously from Amazon to Spotify to, to Bandcamp. I mean, pick anything. Pick any one of the 400 avenues you can get music from these days instantaneously. You've lost the thrill of a hunt. You've lost the thrill of of, a, of an album being dropped, you know, on a Tuesday when they, when they were dropped only on Tuesdays back in our day. You've lost going to a store and buying it and standing in line talking to some guy next to you with a, a jacket that had a pin on it from another band that you would, or a patch that you talked to him about that band, you meet a new friend. You've lost all that. That is gone from our society. And yeah, I'm an old fart saying it, but you, you're missing socialization with music. It's gone for you. It's different. It's changed differently. And you experience it more virtually than you do, you know, physically. It's different. Yeah. And, and, I, and there, I mean, there's a little change that I was, I was happy at one point. And then I kind of got let down this year, and that was Record Store Day, which I've introduced to a lot of people. And Record Store Day, for me, part of what I liked was that there was it, – it, it gave that thrill of, okay, you had to be there. You could potentially miss getting this album. Definitely a, a ramped-up fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. But, but then you were also – the variety of albums that would come out within a Record Store Day. So you're standing in a big line with people that – they're all there for different reasons. And so you'd be like, Hey, so what are you, you know, what are you trying to, what are you hoping to get? And, and stuff like that. And right, so you're talking to people. Yeah. So you kind of got this dialogue and then you'd see people that you like, well, geez, I, you know, that was unexpected. And then I, not the black Friday one, but the one before that last year, which was like kind of the big main one, I got there and the line was absolutely fucking enormous. And I couldn't <laughs> figure out why. And it was because of Taylor Swift. And oh, so, and I had never seen this on any record store day. There was a guy standing at the front and he had a, all he had in his hand was Taylor Swift records. And as people walked up, he was like, are you here for Taylor Swift? And if they said yes, he handed them the Taylor Swift album and he would go, are you getting anything else? And most of the people went, no. And he would go, okay, then just, you can head to the register. And it was like the first time I ever saw that. Now, granted, it was great that, you know, some artist was bringing a bunch of people in and some people actually did go, um, yeah, let me see what there is. And so they were willing to wait in line because we basically had to wait in like a cattle line to get up to the shelves, which kind of sucked because you were looking going, oh, shit, there's one left of that thing I want. Is, you know, right, right, right. any of the eight <laughs> people in front of me going to get that? And has anybody mentioned to me that was what they were looking for? Um, Old guy problems. <laughs> it was like, oh, 
but but and so it was but it was a good way of like getting people to go you you have to be there you have to you have to kind of embrace the event all of that this year for black friday they record store day did something that they have never done before so at, at one point they were doing this thing where on record store day you had basically just exclusive so these were going to be things that it was like record store day one and done then you had other stuff where you could ha- you would get it you get so many copies until record store day was over you could not put it online and sell it on your online store and then you had stuff that was basically going to be a regular release at some point but it came out of record day first so your your best bet of getting anything was show up at the store hope that they had it and there's a few that I got that were, you know, there was only the single copy in the store. And there's always going to be cases like that. Mm-hmm. I know I had that last one. I really wanted that uh, Van Halen right here, right now, first time on vinyl. And I got the last copy in the store. And I was like, just basically my asshole was forming diamonds because it was like clenching so tight that I want that. I could see it. And I'm like, God damn it. But I had one listener that told me that he was from this area. He ended up traveling all the way to Connecticut before he found a record store that still had it in stock that day. Mm-hmm. So but he was willing to go and do it and, and buy it. So that's kind of like old school, you know, that that's Lars and Bob and, and all those guys hopping in a, in a car and going up and in, into a record store and letting, and Lars is running in there to try to beat everybody to get all the good shit. Um, and yeah, that was kind of yeah, record store day. But then this year after black Friday, they started this thing called RSD market. So now RSD market, if you're on that, then you can go to any other store that it does record store day and you can see, hey, what did, from the entire country, what do they have left over? So for a lot of people, I know what's going to happen is they're going to go, you know what? I'm not even going to go to the record store in the morning and like stand in line. I'm just going right. to wait and find it because somebody on RSD market is probably right. going to have a copy of it and I'm just going to buy it online. So no, to your you, point, you it, gets, it gets rid of the hunt. It gets rid of the socialization. Like it, it, it's almost as immediate as going to Amazon. You just got to wait mm-hmm. till they list it. But it's like, I saw that and it was like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, and every young listener right now is going, well, that sounds like that really sucks. And that's horrible. I would never want to do that. And they're right. You know, there is, I mean, honestly, the hunt sucked. Um, I was into the band Halloween. And of course, they were, you know, Halloween had all their stuff overseas. They were from Germany. So mm-hmm. getting some of that stuff early on, was very difficult for me, especially the singles or the oddball stuff. Same thing with uh, um, Pretty Maids, right? So yep. I'd go, I went to Boston one day a year, usually around after Thanksgiving or something, or my friend, one of my friends with the Tower Records. And now here's something brand new for the time. You get to go in, and not only did you see the albums or cassettes, but they had, uh, when the CDs were out, a listening station where X amount of these albums and CDs were were there for you to put the headphones on and listen. You can actually pre-listen to some of this music before you bought it, make a decision. That was brand new technology. And now you can sample things all over the place before you go out and buy it. But that was so cool going down there and, you know, picking up something and putting the headphones on, deciding if you liked it or not, you know, and I ended up buying a lot more because of that. But I had to go to Boston because none of the local record stores, you know, carried the inventory. They weren't big enough to carry you know, deep catalogs of some of the oddball things that I was into, especially for Metal Blade Records, you know? I mean, Metal Blade was huge for me in the 80s, and, and finding some of those artists were, were really difficult. Yeah. So kids today, yeah, I mean, you have it so lucky, and me too, for that matter. Oh, yeah. I, 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 speaking speaking of Pretty Maids, you know? they put out a very limited release of Future World on colored vinyl. Oh, no kidding. And, I, and it was like, 
And I think it's like 300 copies or whatever. I had to order it from Europe, but at least it was like, yep. it was like, I had to, I had to figure out who in Europe had it and could I get it? But it was like, psych. And, I, and it was like, yeah, a couple mm-hmm. months ago I got that in. I was like, oh, fuck yes. Yep. That's, uh, that still is one of my absolute favorite metal albums. You know, it's, well, you know, I say that I probably have a hundred absolute favorite metal albums that comes down to it. And that's one of them, you know, it's just right up there. It's always been one of my favorites. So. It was, it was funny too. When I was putting all my stuff into Discogs, I found I still have that flexi disc of of uh, Future World. Oh and no I, kidding! And I put that up on Twitter, and there was so many reactions to like, "Holy shit!" Like, yeah, but I yeah, I actually still have that flexi disc. You know, I've actually to this day never owned a turntable, and I have I probably own maybe a dozen albums, and a lot of times I would buy the albums because I couldn't find the cassette or CD back you know back in the eighties, and I'd have a friend or so convert it for me, you know, to cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I probably own about a dozen albums and, um, you know, a couple of anthrax bootlegs or whatever the hell they had out at the time. And, and of course, um, Halloween, uh, pretty maids, whatever, but, um, kiss destroyer, believe it or not, my very first album ever my uncle gave me. But, um, you know, I was never big into the album thing, but, but there is something to be said for having side A, side B again, back to the format, which is the whole show here, you know, side A, side B. You listen to something, five songs, four songs, and you have to get up and flip an album yep. or a cassette. You had to flip it until it did automatically. So that made album programming, you know, track listing, very important how they decided to do it. There was a formula for that. So kids today, only knowing CDs or even not CDs anymore, yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't understand or maybe they don't understand that there was a, a method to the madness of having the you know, last song on the first side be a, a fast song because you wanted to flip it over and, and, you know, and have the second side grabbed by the balls again, too. And there was a, the third song was almost always the hit, you know, the third track or second track. Second and third track was almost always the hit. Yeah, you it's know? a little so, bizarre now because you get the 180 grams, so now you have an album that gets split onto four vinyls. Right. So sequence stays the same, but you don't have that same effect on it. But it, what it mm-hmm. does do is it does make you pay attention because now you have to flip it twice as much. All right, Metalheads, we're about an hour into this one. And uh, as Jay, yeah, he might have alluded to at this some point before this that, you know, we were chatting for about two hours on this whole subject of music consumption and differences and all that stuff. And I thought, you know what, it'd probably be a good thing to basically make this one a two-parter rather than a whole two hours of listening to us bullshit. So we're going to cut this one off for the week right here, and we're going to pick it up once again next week with part two. And as is very obvious, yeah, when uh, Jay and I get together, there's just a lot of crap to talk about, a lot of history there, and, uh, you know, a lot of pent-up stuff after 10 years of... uh, Basically, not even speaking to each other. So for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for myself and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant.
You're still here? It's over. Go home.